You're listening to On Human Rights, where we bring you interviews from experts from around the world on the latest and most interesting trends and information on human rights and international humanitarian law. This episode is broadcasted from the Raoul Wallenberg Institute in Lund, Sweden. Today, RWI senior researcher Alejandro Fuentes is speaking to Ambassador Lamberto Zanier, who is the OSCE High Commissioner on National Minorities, and he has occupied this position since 2017. OSCE Head of State and Government established the post of the High Commissioner on National Minorities to address ethnic tensions, preventing interstate crises or conflicts over national minority issues, and focuses on assisting countries in devising sound policies to guarantee minorities access to education and justice. This episode focuses on the role of the High Commissioner in ensuring the participation of minorities in public life, the impact of the current political environment in Europe on minorities, and how to promote a balanced integration of diverse societies. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you enjoy this podcast. Thank you very much, Ambassador Lamberto Sanyar, High Commissioner on National Minorities from the Organization of Security and Cooperation in Europe, for visiting us at the Raoul Wallenberg Institute in Lund, Sweden. Could you please share with our audience how the High Commissioner promote and protect human rights or the rights of minorities in Europe? Well, let me start by saying a couple of words about my mandate, the mandate of my office. The, the office was established in the early 90s, when uh, uh, following the end of the Cold War, and with the dissolution of the Soviet Union and the former Yugoslavia, uh, new states appeared on, the, on, appeared on the map, and together with new states, new borders appeared. Uh, these borders were new to a point, in the sense that those were administrative lines within uh, those states that then uh, disappeared. Uh, but the change was, of course, significant because administrative lines were not a major barrier to contacts between people. And these, uh, both the Soviet Union and the uh, Yugos- and Yugoslavia at the time, were countries with a rich ethnic diversity, let's say. But then, when the borders appeared, those borders did divide people, yeah. and in many cases, they generated conflict, as uh, as we know, unfortunately, very well, and mm-hmm. as the international community had then to engage uh, with. Uh, uh, great investments, both political, uh, financial, and, and you know, of, all, of all kinds, in trying to, uh, to uh, stop those conflicts. So th- there was an awareness that fractures within the society can determine conflict. And in fact, as, as we look around today, and we look at uh, uh, contemporary crises and conflicts all over the world, we see that the traditional pattern of interstate conflict has almost disappeared. And conflicts come more from inside countries, from inside the societies, from instabilities, differences, from problems that had not been addressed. So my my mandate is actually a a, a very modern and very relevant mandate because it really focuses on uh, those kind of trends within the society that if not addressed, can create that kind of problem that will possibly turn into, into a, a larger crisis or generate, uh, or generate a conflict. So the High Commissioner, from the beginning of, of the creation of the office, has engaged with, the, uh, with this notion in mind of uh, promoting societies that are peaceful, peaceful because they are well integrated 
where tolerance is uh, encouraged, uh, where there is no discrimination, uh, and where there are policies and, and uh, tools that have been developed by governments that do facilitate the peaceful integration of the societies and the full participation of every member of the society uh, in, in every aspect of the public life in the country where, where every community resides. Our societies are becoming more and more diverse, uh, so there is increasingly a need uh, for, this kind, uh, for this kind of policies. Now, over time, uh, and as my predecessor engaged on the ground addressing the various angles of uh, uh, integration policies, they started also putting down lists of uh, uh, recommendations, uh, policy recommendations, and then drafting guidelines for countries that were based on, on their own experiences on the ground, on the lessons learned, on the best practices that they observed, also uh, learning from the failures and from the things that did not work. And, and of course, refining this uh, in a process also of uh, close interaction with experts, with universities, with research centers, because there's a lot of expertise out there on these issues. And exactly. try also to capitalize on this expertise and to enrich, in a way, the policy recommendations uh, for the countries, and in fact, for all our countries. Uh, the OSC, as you know, is a regional organization with 57 participating states, as we call them. It's a, it's an organization that used to be a conference that has not completed the transition from conference to organization. So this uh, notion of participating states is still, uh, is still lingering, is still, is still present and pointing to this uh, previous phase of, of the OSC as a conference. So um, if we focus on uh, Europe today, because right. the, your mandate has uh, evolved together with the European societies, focuses on the problems at the time of the creation and the problems that exist today in Europe. So if we focus on today uh, Europe, where we see the recreation or the revival of nationalist movement in many of the European nations, do you see that this could be a threat in the relationship between majorities and minorities? And in that case, which are the challenges that minorities face in this current political context? Yes, unfortunately, we live in an environment uh, where it is more difficult to, uh, to operate in, in promoting this kind of uh, uh, integration policies because of a number of, uh, uh, of trends and the convergence of, uh, of problems. The first issue that I would point to is the return of geopolitics, as we have seen, and the return of conflict. And we see very much in the OSCE as an inclusive organization uh, we see that the uh, membership, and we've always said inside the organization these diverse perspectives, diverse political priorities. So the OSCE is, is there to open up channels of dialogue uh, between countries that have, in fact, different visions and, and different security needs themselves. But that dialogue has become much more difficult. In some cases, we struggle to even have dialogue, and we have just uh, reciprocal accusations on many of the issues that we have on the agenda of the organization. So the, the environment is more polarized, and often minorities are becoming hostage of this, uh, of this climate. Uh, uh, there are, of course, various kinds of minorities. Uh, we have minorities that are, how can I say, identified with the identifiable with a uh, given territory. Yeah. Others that are spread uh, across, you know, whatever uh, broader territory of any country. 
Uh, we have minorities that are indigenous and others that have a country of reference outside, the so-called king state, as we call it. And those minorities of king state can become victims of uh, uh, a deterioration of relationship between the country where they reside and the country to which they look at in terms of, uh, of their own ethnic belonging. Uh, so this is one of the issues that, uh, that we see. Uh, the second uh, is related to some of the global trends that we, uh, that we see, because we are in a phase where we, we do face global challenges. And one of the global challenges related to many things, related to demographics, uh, related to conflict, related to poverty, uh, related to also uh, trafficking of human beings, etc., is movement of people. And, and so the faster pace of change and evolution of our societies, which, uh, for which uh, the people need to be prepared. I think there is a need for a better understanding by everybody that we are entering a new phase, a phase where our societies will inevitably become more diverse, more multi-ethnic. Uh, this requires preparation and requires a rather sophisticated policy of communication as well mm -hmm. for, for everybody. Also the people who travel, who migrate, have to need to have a better understanding of what it means for them, inclusion and uh, and, and, and integration in a, in, a, in a society that is different from the country from which they come. Uh, they have to understand what are the key values of that society and adjust to that, if that is what they want, to, uh, uh, to live in a different place. So there, is the, there are rights of minorities on which we work, and because we want to see them respected, and we certainly feel that uh, diversity is a richness for every society, so everybody can contribute to the society and everybody should be put in a position to, the, uh, to contribute to the society. But it's important also that uh, those who are diverse uh, do not withdraw and in fact do use that opportunity, see that as an opportunity. So this is in a way the beauty of, of integration policies, but this is also the challenge when we see that this debate is not really taking place in many of our societies and that these issues are exploited for different reasons, often political reasons, and this creates polarization within the society. Sometimes we see uh, also a tendency, sometimes of uh, those who are diverse, to withdraw in their own bubble and others to push them in that bubble. And, and, and so this marginalization, which then becomes a problem, because uh, a, a community that is marginalized is a community that doesn't fully contribute uh, to the development of the country where they reside, but it can even, in some cases, uh, become, uh, through marginalization, uh, become radicalized or, or even not feel uh, at ease in the space where, where they live. And then we see phenomena like, like violent extremism or radicalization that then create... Uh, uh, create uh, uh, contrast within the society, or even separatism in some in some cases, yeah. and we see also uh, tendencies of this of this kind today. So I think this requires an extra effort yeah. to communicate what are the policies that we recommend that the, the countries should adopt. Otherwise, uh, we will fall very easily prey uh, of those who preach more identity-based politics and and, uh, and national nationally-based politics. So if we just focus on participation, 
is a key element that you have identified. In an inclusive society, participation is an avenue of two ways, where the society is welcoming the participation of minorities and minorities are willing to participate. And among the recommendations that the, your office, the Office of the High Commissioner, has promoted, we have the Lund recommendation on effective participation of national minorities in public life. This year we celebrate the 20th anniversary of its adoption, so perhaps our audience would like to know how these loan recommendations could further contribute to facilitate that participation and make societies more inclusive. Yeah, the loan recommendations are, I would say, one of the key aspects and, and key uh, steps in our set of, re of recommendations on, uh, uh, on policies of integration. Because at the end of the day, what we want to see is that all uh, key institutions, beginning with parliaments, uh, so the political institutions, but then also uh, the public administration, the civil service, uh, the army, the police, every, every uh, aspect, and the, the, the economic life also, key, key positions, etc., reflect the diversity of the society. If there is an impression that any of these areas becomes a monopoly of a group, mm -hmm. no matter how large this group, even if it's the majority in a way that controls them and others feel excluded, then there will be a loss of credibility. There will be a loss of investment. And often there is suspicion also uh, of you know, minority, majorities versus others. They think they might have another agenda. But the more they're marginalized, the more, the more you may make that suspicious uh, suspicion uh, a reality because you will alienate those who are uh, those who are different so in fact the right answer is inclusion is empowerment is make sure that those who are diverse feel that they are part of the common effort of these societies that are more diverse that there is a space for them to contribute that they will be beneficiary uh, beneficiaries of the policies uh, that are uh, uh, that are promoted so this is this is Lund, in fact, and this is what uh, what Lund shows, uh, and of course you achieve it through uh, sectoral policies. For instance, there is, we have a strong accent on education. It's important to make sure that everybody in the education system maintains its identity and can use and can learn his uh, his native language, but in, together with a very strong investment in making sure that everybody speaks and learns properly the state language as a key tool for integration. Uh, so finding that balance, and education is an example, but this applies to, to all areas, in policing, another, another very sensitive area. Uh, it is important also for the sake of efficiency of the police forces. If the police force is seen by minority groups as the instrument of only one part of the society that is controlling them, then you're doomed to fail. Uh, you really need to include everybody to make the police credible, uh, to make sure that every, every group in the society feels that it is represented in that police and that police is there also to uh, support him, that there is no discrimination the way police operates. That will make the police not only credible and acceptable, but also much more efficient. Yeah. So these are the things we are working towards and the, and the recommendations we give to participate to the participating states. But of course, the environment that we find in some of them remains a difficult one. And so the uh, degree uh, to which uh, these uh, recommendations are received uh, changes. And uh, in some cases, I even see 
that uh, governments take into account our, our, our recommendations, but then when this needs to be turned into legislation, this goes into parliaments, where you see also these uh, sometimes problematic uh, trends emerging, and they have an impact then on the legislation that is passed. And then what we see emerging from parliaments is not always exactly what we would like to see in terms of uh, policies of the countries, and this can plant the seeds of, uh, of uh, instability down the line. And that's where also my early warning function comes in, and that's where I can raise my, my concerns, still with respect for the uh, uh, method of co confidentiality uh, that is part of my mandate, so I, I have ways to do it without embarrassing too much uh, to publicly uh, governments, uh, but, but I have a way to do it, and that is, uh, that is what is in my mandate. Thank you very much. Last question. You have mentioned that a key element in order to build inclusive society is the empowerment of minorities. In our audience, we have minorities in different parts of the world, from Phnom Penh to Harare, passing through Amman, and of course here in Sweden. So if you would like to give them your last message in connection on how to promote their participation in uh, an inclusive and tolerant society, which will be this message to them? Well, I think the key tool is dialogue. And this is something I, uh, it's an advice I give also to governments and establish channel of dialogue with all segments of the, of the society. Because uh, uh, the first thing that is needed is a good understanding of what are the needs and the good understanding of each other, especially when there are differences. And, uh, and whenever there is a difference, there is a need to talk about it. Uh, so I think this uh, also in shaping country policies, it's important uh, to make sure when they apply to minorities, there, there is this. Then there are a number of international instruments, and of course, uh, my mandate is a mandate within the OSCE, so I have a regional uh, competency, and, and we have the Council of Europe in, in Europe, etc. So there are international tools, and when minorities feel that they have problems in their interaction with the central authorities, they can always reach out to uh, uh, these institutions that are there also to uh, consider uh, their problems and to address them with them and with the governments. And if, you know, integration, as I say, is a two-way street. So sometimes I feel I need to talk to the minorities as well, because sometimes their expectations exceed what I would see this right balance between, uh, between uh, integration and, and protection of the identity. Uh, the, the other point is that I think there is room for uh, better communication, and we started doing that with the United Nations, uh, using the United Nations as a platform. Uh, among regional organizations, because we have developed these tools in the OSCE space, so in the Euro-Atlantic Eurasian space. Uh, but there are other regions that might benefit from similar models. And I'm not saying that what we have done here is immediately applicable, applicable somewhere else, but it can inspire others uh, to develop in their own way and that they taking into account uh, culture and the regional specificities, etc. But tools that go in the same direction of addressing problems of instability within the society, which, if left unaddressed, could, uh, uh, um, could create problems. So to minorities that are outside the space that I cover, I think start thinking of how you can get organized yourself in your own space, in your own region, also to uh, create mechanisms that allow you uh, then to, uh, to benefit from a broader support for interventions with governments mm. uh, uh, taking to take into account your, your own needs. 
Thank you very much for this dialogue, uh, Ambassador Lamberto Sanyar, and thank you very much for engaging with our audience in all parts of the world. It is a pleasure. Thank you. Thank That was Ambassador Lamberto Zanier, who is the OSCE High Commissioner on National Minorities. This has been On Human Rights. For more information and the latest updates on Raul Wallenberg Institute's work, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Thank you for listening.